Well, good morning. Um, today we're continuing our sermon series called Room for Doubt, Exploring Faith and Finding Answers. And uh, over the last few weeks, uh, we've looked at different things that are easy to doubt. We've looked at things um, that are difficult to answer, questions that are hard to answer, but we've looked at that from a biblical perspective, uh, so that way we can deal with those things. And today, um, I want to look at another question um, that actually I, um, I had the privilege of writing a research paper on in my undergrad studies on tragedy and suffering. So what we're going to look at today is why would an all-powerful, all-loving God allow pain and tragedy and suffering in this world? Uh, if we look around the world around us today, we see that it's been, we've been through an era of a lot of tragedy, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Um, we see across foreign nations uh, vill- villages being massacred. Uh, we hear untold numbers of women and children being torn away from their families and sold into slavery. And who can forget the brutal beheadings of the 21 Coptic Christians in Libya? In fact, there are some areas where Christianity has endured for nearly two millennia, but there's no longer Christians left in those areas because they've either been forced to flee, uh, they've been compe- compelled to convert to another religion, or they've been put to death. Uh, we see here in the United States, uh, these things become commonplace. School shootings, shootings in malls, shootings in military bases, shootings in public areas. Story after story, tragedy after tragedy. And with those tragedies comes pain, comes suffering. With those things, many people... Um, it causes them to doubt God. It causes many people to doubt God, and it causes a lot of times us to ask the question, why? And that's a fair question. It's a fair question for us to say, why? Why would God allow uh, a shooting to take place in a school? Why would God allow Christians that are evangelizing to people uh, in foreign countries, people that have never heard the gospel, why would God allow them to be beheaded? There's tragic example after tragic example. And those things don't just happen on the national or global scale. Those pains and sufferings sometimes happen in our lives. Maybe it's illness. Maybe uh, a loved one was taken from you too soon. Uh, Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe you've been betrayed in some way. Or you've experienced disappointment from someone or sorrow. And perhaps you've been asking yourself that question. Why? Why God? Why me? And why now? You know, that question why goes back thousands of years. The question why was asked in the Old Testament by people like Job, David, Solomon, and the Psalms. And it's often repeated in our time. Why has there been two world wars? Why was there a holocaust? Why the genocides in the Soviet Union, China, and Rwanda? Why devastating famines in Africa? Why the killing fields in Cambodia? Why the emergence of AIDS? Why the ongoing acts of terrorism around the world? The list goes on and on and on. Why does all this happen if we have a God who loves us? And a God who is 
all supreme, all powerful? Why do so many terrible things happen to good people? Well, a number of years ago, there was this survey that was taken, um, and the survey asked people for one response of what they would ask God if they had a chance to ask God one question. You know what that question was? Why is there suffering in the world? And incidentally, in this survey, there was an interesting statistical quirk. People who were married were much more likely to ask why there's so much suffering in the world. But I'll refrain from commenting on that. <laughs> Although I probably could. I think my wife's back, in the, back with the kids. So, Anyways, um, but we've, sometimes we never ask the question, why? Why is this world infected with pain and suffering? If you haven't asked that question, you will at some point in this life. Jesus said that pain and suffering will happen. He told us that truth in John 16, 33. John 16, 33 says, Here on this earth you have many trials and sorrows. And by the way, we'll have all of our scriptures up here on the screen for you. See, Jesus didn't say those things might happen. He said, you will have many trials and you will have many sorrows. Those things are going to happen. But again, why? Why do we have to experience those things in this life, especially if we've chosen to follow Jesus? Why would God allow a tragedy like the shooting at the Antioch Waffle House? Or why would God allow Hurricane Harvey? I mean, you can choose any example you want. And to be honest with you, there's only four words that I can respond to that. I don't know. For me, personally, I don't know. I can't answer that question because I can't stand in the shoes and in the place of God to give you an account for that. Because I don't see the world the way that God sees it. None of us see the world the way God sees it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. You see, someday we're reminded in 1 Corinthians that we will see things perfectly. We will see things clarity and we, with clarity, and we look forward to that day. But right now things become foggy, right? Things become puzzling. We have these questions of why, and we want answers. And I, and I got to tell you, um, when somebody is going through a suffering, when somebody is going through tragedy or pain, a loss of a loved one, disappointment, a, a broken relationship, when someone is going through that, I'm sure you know an, an intellectual response is the last thing that they want because oftentimes an intellectual response is it's inadequate. It's, uh, it's insensitive. The best thing that we can do when someone is experiencing suffering when someone is experiencing tragedy is the thing that we would also desire it's love it's love the best thing we can do we can use fewer words and show more love after all actions do speak louder than words don't they but as we get more detailed in i want to focus on that question of why god would allow suffering why god would allow these tragedies because there are things, there are truths in God's word and truths that God has for us that will be appropriate for us to share with someone when the time is right or be appropriate for our own personal relationship 
and where we're at with doubt. So today I want to share three things with you that we all re- that we can that can help us as we wrestle through this very common doubt. Here's the first thing. First thing that we need to understand is that God is not the creator of evil. Can you say that with me? God is not the creator of evil. So one question we often hear with uh, evil and tragedy and suffering is, well, why didn't God just create a world where those things didn't exist? I mean, if God is uh, all-knowing, all-powerful, why didn't he just create the world without those things? And the answer is he did. Remember what Genesis 1.31 says? It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Can you guys pull that one up on the screen for me? God saw all that was good, and all that he had made, and it was very good. God did not create the world with human suffering. But if God isn't the author of tragedy or evil or death, then where did they come from? Well, keep in mind, God has existed through all eternity. He's existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are united in a perfect relationship. A perfect relationship that is centered around love. The love that he has for us and the love that he desires us to have to him. So love is essential to the nature of God. You see, when God chose to create us, when God not just chose to create the world and the beauty and the splendor, but when God chose to create us, he did create us in his image because he wanted us to experience real love, the love of God so that we could love one another. And by by creating us with the ability to love, God created us with the ability to choose. Free will, free choice. Genuine love always involves free choice. To genuinely love someone, to genuinely care for someone, to give your life, to give your time, involves a choice. So God granted us free will. And, and we, know, we know the account of Adam and Eve. We know how uh, Adam and Eve walked away from God, how their pride, their selfishness got in the way, and they took their eyes off of God. Why? Because they were given the choice to be in perfect communion with God or to choose what they wanted. And that's how evil entered into this world. See, there's two kind of evils in this world. There's moral evil and there's natural evil. So let's talk about moral evil for a minute. Moral evil results from a choice that we make. So it goes back to that free will. It, re- it results from something we decide to do. Now, many times these choices that are morally evil are out of selfishness, arrogance, hatefulness, and suffering is the consequence of those things. Now, maybe some of those things don't resonate with you, but every day we have the choice to do what's right and what's wrong. Every day we have the choice to put others before ourselves. Every day we have the choice to love. So that's a little bit about moral evil. You know, so much of the world's suffering, I believe, comes from actually inaction, sinful inaction uh, of people. 
For example, let's talk about uh, the devastating famines that happen uh, in foreign nations. And people say, well, where's God? Like, why would God take away the rain? Why would God take away our ability to grow what we need? But in reality, uh, we know that the world as a whole produces enough food, enough nourishment for people to be healthy. Our selfishness, our arrogance, our greed, it gets in the way. Here's another example. If you would, with me, just take out your hand. Hold your hand in front of your face. Hold your hand in front of your face. With those hands, with your hand, you can choose to feed someone. You can choose to make a meal for someone. You can choose uh, to help someone. But also with that hand, you can choose to take a gun or take something else and harm someone else. You You can put your hand down. Thank you. It's your choice, though. God created you, and he gave you the choice. He gave you the choice to take your hands and either do good or do evil. But it's your choice. It's your choice to do that. The other kind of evil is natural evil. Okay, And natural evil does not result from um, us making choices, us making decisions with our hands. Natural evils involve things like wildfires, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes that cause incredible devastation and suffering. But when we think about it, these tragedies, these things of natural evil, they, they actually go back to human sin. I mean, Genesis 3 makes that clear when it talks about the curse on creation being a result of our fallenness, of walking away from God, that nature itself, that our world is corrupted because we've rebelled against God. Romans 8.22, Paul talks about this corruption. In Romans 8.22, it says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, nature longs to be made perfect again. And we see that in the world. We see people, uh, maybe yourselves, trying to do good in the world, trying to make a difference, trying to make the world a better place. But the reality of it is, it's still a fallen world. We still need to be redeemed. We need Jesus. See, God didn't create evil. God didn't create evil, but God did create the potential for evil because That was the only way to create, right? God had to create us with the potential to do good, to love, to be human and be in relationship with him. But in that same way, God also created us with choice, with freedom, with the ability to take our hands and our mouths and to do what is good, but also to do what is evil. Let me put it this way. Maybe this analogy will help. Uh, Many of you here are parents, or many of you will be parents in the near future. Let's think about this potential as parents. So even before you had children, couldn't you foresee that there was a real possibility that your children would experience some level of disappointment, some level of pain in their life, maybe heartache, or maybe even that at some point, whether you'd like to believe it or not, Your child might go through something that might hurt you. Or they might even walk away from you for a time. But that didn't change your decision to be a parent. You still decided to have children. 
You still decided to have a family because you knew the potential, the potential joy and the love that that family could bring you and, and that, that that relationship could bring you. Now, I know that analogy is far from perfect in understanding God. But think about the way that God created us. You know, God created us knowing that we would rebel against him. But he also knew that even after rebelling, even after sending his son to the cross, because he loved us so much, that many would come to Christ. And did God change his decision to create us? No, because he loved us that much, because there was a potential for so much good and so much love. And even through that, it was worth it. It was so worth it for God to send his own son to die for us, to go through the pain, the suffering, the tragedy that we speak of, that we say, why, God? The things that Jesus went through for us to make things right, to redeem us. So as we consider pain, tragedy, evil, we, we have to remember God did not create that. But the second thing we have to remember is that even though suffering and tragedy and pain and evil exists in our world, and even though those things are not good, that God can use it to accomplish good. Romans 8.28 reminds us of that. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice that this verse doesn't say, God created evil. It says that he promises to redeem it. He said, it says, God works for the good of those who love him. What is key there? A relationship with Jesus. Suffering is going to happen. Tragedy is going to happen. There's nothing we can do to avoid that. But when we have Jesus as our Savior, when we have the promise of redemption, and we know that Jesus walks beside us, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he created us with the potential to have a deep relationship with him, then we know that God is at work for our good because we love him. I love the, uh, the example of Joseph. You guys know the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph in the coat of many colors. And his brothers were jealous. His brothers despised him, right? And, and Joseph, he probably didn't do the best job at uh, you know, not flaunting uh, his, his special coat and his special status as the favorite son. But, but still, Joseph, he was pure in heart. And yet his brothers, they, they despised him. They hated him. And what happened to Joseph? Well, he experienced a lot of pain, right? He was sold into slavery. He was uh, falsely accused for a cr of crime. He was imprisoned. Uh, he, he, he worked as a slave for 12 years. But then what happens at the end of those 12 years? God puts Joseph in a place of authority. God puts Joseph in a place of authority in a place that he can save his family when the famine comes. When uh, Joseph's brothers see Joseph, you know, and there's that exchange, and they come back, and Joseph doesn't reveal himself. His brothers have forgotten what he looks like. And then Joseph finally reveals himself. He says this in Genesis 50, 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for the good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. 
Now, if you're committed to God, this is encouraging for you. Because God promises that he will take your pain, he will take your suffering, he will take whatever you're experiencing and draw something good for it, even when harm, even when tragedy is around us. If we love God and we're committed to who he is and what he's done in our life, he will redeem our pain. You may hear people say, well, if God has the power to uh, eliminate evil and suffering, why doesn't he just do it? Why doesn't he just take over and do it? Well, the answer to that is just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it isn't going to happen. The story of redemption isn't over. That's why being redeemed from sin, that's why choosing to be baptized and choosing a new life in Christ, it doesn't stop there. It continues on through eternity in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus reminds us that there will be a day when sickness and pain and tragedy will be eliminated and people will be held accountable for everything they've done. That justice will be served, that God is a just, true God. That that day will come, but it's not here yet. So why, what, why the wait? I mean, there's many of us that just long for Jesus to come back, long for that uh, eternal place with him in heaven, long for all those pains and sufferings and evils to be eliminated where, where God will wipe away every tear from our eye. Why, why, why the wait? I think the, the biggest answer is us. It's the world. It's the community around us. 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us of this. It says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think, no. In fact, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God is so patient with us. Isn't he? Isn't he so patient with us? The, the, the hills, the valleys we go through. The things that we put God through, that every time that we, uh, we make a selfish decision, every time we choose uh, wrong things over the right things, that that, that that pain is felt, that Jesus suffered on the cross for us. But God is patient with us. He's patient with us. And why is he patient? Because there's a world around us that needs redeemed. There's a world around us that needs redeemed. And he wants people Everywhere. He wants people in our community to hear about that grace. And that's our job, church. That's why our vision is communities changed by Christ. Because it doesn't just happen in this building right here. It happens when we're changed by the gospel. It happens when we realize, man, God has been so gracious to me. And I want others to experience that grace and that love and that mercy. You see, when we experience suffering and pain and tragedy, or maybe even when we see it, uh, and maybe we, we get angry toward those things, we, that's a choice we have to make. We can get bitter toward God, we can get angry, or we can turn to Him. We can turn to Him. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, Jesus offers us two things 
and redeeming us. He offers us two things that we need the most in dealing with this question of tragedy and suffering. Jesus offers us peace. He's patient with us. He's comforting. And he gives us courage to face the day, to face our future. How can Jesus do this? Well, he's conquered the world. He's conquered death. Suffering doesn't have the last say. Suffering doesn't have the last word because Jesus has overcome the grave. Jesus has overcome suffering and tragedy. Even though those things will take place, he is our hope. He is our refuge. Uh, A Christian philosopher by the name of Peter Kreft uh, explained God's ultimate answer to suffering really well. He said that his answer to suffering is in the incarnation of Jesus because suffering is a personal problem, right? If it's not personal for us, uh, it's personal for someone else that's dealing with that. And because it's personal, that's why uh, sometimes intellectually that's not the proper response, right? We need something personal. We need to be loved. So because it's a personal problem, it demands a personal response. And this is, this is so vital to our relationship with God. Because God isn't a, a distant, uh, disconnected, uh, disinterested God in us. And I think sometimes we feel that way. I think sometimes we feel that uh, God has other problems to deal with. Or, man, I just, I got to figure this out on my own. I just, I got to, I got to figure this out. I got to answer all these questions and these doubts I have. God cared enough to send his own son to the cross. God experienced that pain the way his son did. He did it for you and he did it for me. Because Jesus is there in the lowest places of our life. Maybe he's there if you're broken. Maybe you're broken in some way. And I know that can be hard to admit, even to yourself. But maybe you're broken. Remember, Jesus was broken. He was broken like bread for us. Maybe in some way um, you're despised or you're looked at uh, and, and someone just has a real issue with you. For one reason or another, whether you've done something wrong or not. What did Jesus experience? Well, remember, he was despised. He was rejected, but yet he bore the shame. Maybe you've cried out that you just, you can't deal with the pain, the suffering, the, the, the hardships anymore. Maybe you've cried that out. Well, Jesus did the same thing. He was our man of sorrows. And he was very acquainted with grief. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe someone's turned against you. Remember, Jesus was sold out by the very people that said that they would follow him even to death. Some of them even hid their faces from him as if Jesus was a leper and an outcast. Jesus is so much closer to us than anyone or anything can ever be. Now, a best friend, a close friend, they can sit with you, they can listen to you, they can be there for you, they can comfort you, but Jesus is inside of you. Jesus is someone you can put your trust in knowing that he will never let you down, knowing that he will answer everything that you go through because he's already done it. And therefore, your sufferings, your pains, they're his sufferings. They're his pains. So what will be your response? When tragedy strikes, when suffering comes, 
when you're wrestling with pain, will you find peace in Christ and your relationship with him? Will you find the courage to deal with that pain, to deal with that suffering, to help someone else through that for your future? Will you remember that there's an incredible promise that Jesus gives us to always be with us? That he gives us everlasting life. You know, at the beginning of the the sermon, we talked about these tragic events. We talked about, um, you know, famines and, um, and shootings and all these things that are just horrible and things that just break our heart. I think these things also need to uh, help us remember that life is short and it's so fragile and we never know the moment when a loved one will be taken from us or or, or when uh, this life will be over for us. Things just happen because we live in a, a, a sinful, a scarred world. We don't know when death will come. We don't know when the heart attack will strike. We don't know when the drunk driver will Drunk driver will cross the line. We don't know when an airplane will have a mechanical failure. We don't know when someone will go into a school with a gun. That's why I've really enjoyed memorizing 1 John 5.13 this week, and I encourage you to do that as well. 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, God doesn't want you wondering. He wants you to face your doubt. He wants you to face your pain, your your insecurities, your anxieties. But he doesn't want you to go another moment without realizing that he is the one that you need. He is the one that takes your pain and your sufferings. Maybe that conversation uh, needs to happen for you with a coworker. Or needs to happen with, for you with someone you confide in. Uh, maybe you, you want to talk to a staff member or a leadership member or somebody from our church about where you're at in your faith or if you need to make that decision. But I would encourage you to do that because that is how we face the pains and the sufferings of this world. We do it through the power of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that... Although the, the answers don't always come to us, that there are often many things that we doubt, God, and that we struggle with, that you are faithful. And God, the truth of your word reminds us that, that you're with us. God, that you've overcome the grave, and God, that you give us the keys to this life to follow you to put our trust in you. God, for those of us who are experiencing some sort of pain or tragedy or suffering, God, we ask that you be present in their life. God, we ask that not a minute goes by that we don't acknowledge you as being an all-loving, all-powerful, all-wonderful God who created us to love and to have that choice. So God, help us take our hands, take our feet out of this place today to not live our lives selfishly or arrogantly or pridefully, but God, to live our lives in reflection of what you've done for us. Thank you, God, that you are a God that loves us, 
that you answer these difficult questions, and then, God, that ultimately, ultimately, you will erase all of the pain, all of the tragedy, all the suffering. But in the meantime, God, help us be strong. Help us be courageous. Help us be a people who reach our communities with the love of your Son. God, I thank you for this day in your name. Amen.